I'm TJ Walsh, and you're listening to the Bold Creatives Collective podcast. Take a front row seat to hear conversations with successful musicians, producers, actors, visual artists, designers, directors, marketers, and more, and learn about their perspectives and approach to leadership, creativity, innovation, and growth. Let's dive in. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Hannah, and the title was initially Creating Spaces for Societal Change in the Emotional Age. Um, And I was like, oh, I love that. So I don't care (laughs) if it doesn't fit anymore, but I love the title. Let me give you a little bit of background on Hannah. Hannah Rechtschaffen, she calls herself a personable high energy creative, which I agree with having had several conversations (laughs) with Hannah, personable and high energy creative, focused on strategic planning, creative economy development, and cross-section sector communication. Um, Since discovering the concept of creative placemaking in 2014, and I'd like kind of when we talk for you to uh, define placemaking for us and set us up with a with like a a ground floor there. Uh, Since discovering the concept of creative placemaking in 2014, Hannah's work has pivoted fully to focus on how the arts, culture, and history of a place can be leveraged to make it more inclusive and economically sustainable. Hannah's work is rooted in the complexity of the human experience, which she meets with authenticity and willingness to delve into the most challenging scenarios and questions with curiosity, empathy, and true yearning to understand, which I think is really related, relatable to all of us here. We are all coming with curiosity, with empathy, and a true yearning to understand and learn and grow. Hannah currently works as Director of Placemaking and Special Projects for WD Cows, a ninth generation female-led sustainable land management and real estate development company in Western Massachusetts. Her role interacts with local and state level stakeholders, business owners, entrepreneurs, solar development, artists, and community members. And Hannah, for her credentials, holds a BA in theater and history from Oberlin College and a master's in arts administration from the great Drexel University in Philadelphia. Her background in arts and business brought her to creative placemaking, which continues to be her passion, especially as the field progresses and becomes more and more relevant. Um, And that's part of what our conversation is going to be about today. So welcome, Hannah. I'm so glad to be able to hang out with you for the next little while. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm super honored to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So why don't we start with just, um, you know, well, I'll remind everybody, we're going to talk about and consider um, things through the lens of post-COVID and the veil between our personal and professional selves coming down and art and artist, how art and artist helps to guide us in how we show up in a fully actualized way. Um, and how the idea of placemaking um, fits into all of that. It would be helpful, Hannah, starting out, give us an idea of what it is and how we're going to talk about it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, I'm thrilled that anyone's heard of it. So <laughs> this is awesome. Um, and I find that often when I talk about it or start to define it, more and more people are like, oh, yeah, 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 sure. Um, so. Yeah, you know, TJ, you gave uh, the soundbite I usually give about uh, arts, culture, and history, leveraging and economic development. Um, But I think it's more than that. And I think it's um, 
truly endeavoring to understand the places that we live in, work in, inhabit. Um, and we're seeing a precipitous rise in, I think, how far back people are willing to look, trying to look, trying to understand. So placemaking is defining how a place came to be what it is, where it's come from, where it potentially could go, um, and what's going on in that place right now. And so that's how people interact. That's what kinds of businesses are in that space, certainly what kind of art is happening in that space. Um, and then I think the active practice of placemaking is putting hands to and minds to continuing to evolve a place and create a place. I mentioned in our live on, on Instagram, which I don't know if everybody was there, so I just want to reiterate here, um, not everybody's into the term placemaking. Um, I think some people find the, the making part can have a little bit of erasure to it. So place keeping, place tending. Um, it's really, I think, overarchingly just being mindful that no place, no space that we're in um, is brand new, that there's a lot there and that everything can be helped into um, a form that is more inclusive, a form that is sustainable. Um, and the more rooted that that work is in the past and the more rooted it is in what the most people want to see in its future, the better that growth is going to be for everyone. That's the ideal. Um, and I think that that's a nutshell. Obviously, that tendrils out into a lot of different sectors, a lot of different kinds of effort um, around it. So, yeah, that can go out into so many different different yeah. directions, right? And I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm really glad that you mentioned how placemaking, the term, can be maybe a little bit hard for some people to kind of hang on to. And so there's some other ideas like place tending um, and all of that. And I really resonated with that for a second. And then I'm thinking, well, if we're thinking about artists or if we're thinking about creatives and people who kind of look at things and say, you know, how could this be better or how could this be different? Mm -hmm. Right. And we want to be mindful that the places that we're inhabiting and that we're considering how we can make them different or better Right. Um, I've been there for a long time. Yeah. So how can artists actually be, you know, effective and sensitive participants in this idea of, of place tending, um, of working in communities that isn't um, them coming in or us coming in and erasing what has been there? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really crucial. And now is the best time to be an artist. And I really couldn't agree more um, with that sentiment. And I think it's because there is um, an inherent quality, qualities uh, to being an artist or an arts leader or however, you know, someone might define themselves a creative. Um, you know, artists are truth seekers. We're willing to look at things honestly. We're trying to communicate things that are very challenging to communicate, the intersections of things, the conflict in things, holding conflicting truths. That's the work in a sense of artists, you know, and we, many of us call it a practice because we recognize that it's a constantly emerging effort to 
understand human beings, understand things that happen or have happened. Um, and so I think artists are natural leaders in the field of placemaking because of these qualities, because we're willing to engage with some things that other people might want to, or at least have a habit of sweeping under the rug. And so, you know, economic development does not have a good past. You know, it has been done on the backs of people. It's been done um, with a lot of secrecy and it really is something that needs to be opened up. And one of the things that I find as a creative placemaking professional and a creative leader is that a lot of my work tends to center around holding space for and creating space for more transparency, more leading conversations of, you know, what's happening in our town or our city or this community. Um, why is it happening? And why is that change important to people? And I find very often that even the, even the loudest voices in the room who might start out against whatever's happening, whatever project or development, very often the importance is that people want to be heard. And I think as artists are, you know, some of the best listeners in our society by virtue of what we're trying to kind of reflect and share we're always listening and we're always really working on our own connection to what we're hearing and so often we can listen in a way that allows people to move through their own resistance to something that encourages people to ask important questions of something um, and economic development if it's going to be sustainable and especially if it's going to be inclusive there has to be room for all the voices, even if what's being asked for or pushed up against, you know, it might not necessarily stop or it might not necessarily change, but sometimes just the listening and the inclusion of more voices can be the thing. Um, so that, that I think is a really, really important part of the work. Mm, the listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And art, artists kind of taking in all of the um, all of the noise, right? And all of the yeah. chaos that's around and kind of synthesizing yeah. it and then bringing it, putting it back out into the world in a way that is maybe more, you know, packaged so that people can actually see, okay, what is what has been going on here around us? What questions come up for me now that this has been synthesized, I think is a really important um, task of an artist or a maker or mm -hmm. a creative thinker and problem solver. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're seeing a rise in companies, organizations, even large corporations, including my own. I mean, we're a relatively small corporation, but we're still a corporation, even if independent. Um, and we're seeing a rise in creatives being brought onto development teams, being brought into municipal government, um, into planning offices. And I, I think there's a reason that we're seeing that rise. You talked about post-COVID um, and, and the veil coming down. I don't know if, if that came from me or if you're- Oh, that came directly from you. Yeah. Okay, because <laughs> I say that all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, post-COVID, I think one of the things that that really happened or that I'm seeing um, frequently is that 
through this collective trauma, and I think that this is true, you know, through anything of this scale that touches so many people at once, is that the recovery period really breaks down the, I'll call it inability, but I'd rather sort of refer to it as something that we were forcing societally before, which is the separation between the personal and the professional, right? You you check your stuff at the door when you get to work, you don't talk about work, talk about your home life at work, whatever it is. Right. Um, when you're in a period of having to recover, the first thing to go are those forced separations. And so what we're seeing is more and more people showing up to their professional life with all their stuff. And because we're in a society that doesn't always value the emotional alongside, you know, all the other things we're asked to do in a day, um, that's coming out really sideways and in ways that can continue to, to hurt people as they try and come with, with the truth of their situation, the truth of their experience. And so, um, I think, again, one of the reasons that creatives are being brought into leadership or are stepping into their own sense of leadership is because bringing the emotional together with every other part of our human experience is also the practice of art and art making. So, you know, it's really interesting to be, you know, people in my office will joke about how new agey I am. And all that really means is that I talk openly about you know, the emotions that I'm feeling, but I also put time and effort into making sure that the way I'm communicating about those emotions don't open my, open me up to, you know, further trauma or any kind of personal damage. And so there, there is work to be done and guidance to be had around how we bring this more holistic self to work or to any of the spaces, our relationships, um, that we show up in. Right. So it's interesting. <laughs> right. It's a really, it's a really interesting time to be, to be a human being, number one, right? It's very like, oh my gosh, everything yeah. is so different now, or it's, it's constantly yeah. changing because I think the, the fiasco that we've lived through over the past several years has really forced a lot of people to look at, you know, some of these things that just haven't been working, but because we haven't had the ability or the um, maybe recognition to want to change them or something like, you know, it's all, it's all requiring, requiring change and evaluation now. Um, And then as artists, how are we to explain our own importance um, and how are we to insert ourselves where we need to be? right, in this new kind of um, place as artists, as creatives. Now there's different ways that we can have dialogues, different ways that we can listen. How do we communicate this to the plate, to the people that, you know, need to hear it and need to bring us in to some of these different environments to, to do some work and, and, and change? Mm, that is such a great question and such a big question. Um, I think, you know, finding the sort of practical pathways into those spaces is really important. Um, And I would start again with listening and the importance of, you know, starting to do a little bit more um, almost inventory taking of what 
spaces you're finding yourself in already? Um, are there other people in those spaces that you find yourself relating to, or you find that they are asking questions that suggest to you that maybe they also are trying to find their way into that space? I think one of the ways that um, artists and creatives in leadership really do leadership differently um, is that we're always looking for the connectivity of things. And again, going back to, you know, this sort of siloed history that we're coming out of and coming out of pretty rapidly um, at the moment, we're seeing more and more things coming together. So I think as we look around the proverbial rooms that we're in um, and look for who else seems to be either doing this work or maybe struggling with this work, you know, if, if we notice small changes in the personalities of people, I can't tell you, you know, I, I find myself in a lot of rooms where pre-COVID, I would never, ever have had a personal conversation, you know, something about my personal life or my family life with some of these people, right? I'm in rooms with mayors of cities, I'm in rooms with funders, and, and those were spaces, right? And I remember I had this moment, this really interesting moment during COVID on Zoom that I bet I would guess that most people can relate to where I showed up to a meeting um, with one of the super high ups from the University of Massachusetts. And, you know, we're just kind of waiting for other people to come in. And for the first time, you're seeing into people's homes, right? You're seeing into whatever room they're willing to share. And I was in my kitchen and uh, this woman was in her dining room. And my kitchen is like a super bright turquoise. That's just how I live. My house is real colorful. And her dining room was this like really deep purpley maroon. And I just casually was like, I love the color of your dining room and I wouldn't have pegged you as someone who would have that color in her, in your house. And it started this conversation that was so different from any opportunity we had ever had to connect. And it was over something really small. So, you know, I always encourage people now, especially when there's so much room being made for conversations like these and so much more sharing happening um, to kind of, brave up and take a step to say something that might be slightly more personal or ask a question that might be slightly more personal, because I think we're all surprising ourselves around not only how much more willing people are to receive that and meet us in that, um, but also what it leads to after that. And, right. you know, it, immediately kind of flows into those professional conversations because now you you have this personal touch point with someone and you are through your own willingness to be open you're encouraging their humanness as well and when we start to get into our humanity with one another it deepens every conversation we're we're having so i think that's one of the things especially in creating these spaces we as creative leaders are often the first ones to take a step beyond and ask a question or make a statement or point something out that might be challenging. Um, not everyone is going to respond, I have found. Um, as you think 
they would or as freely as they might. Um, you know, but I've had situations where in the moment someone wasn't willing to step into that with me and then I get an email or a text from them and they say, you know, I, I'm sorry I didn't answer your question. I was kind of caught off guard, but I really appreciate you asking about, you know, right. my kid or whatever it is. So, so I think part of it is just rising to the occasion and accepting that things are changing. We are in a different time. And that's one of the reasons that artists and creatives are being brought into or stepping into these leadership positions or starting their own consulting companies or, you know, showing up and changing the conversation and everyone's willing to kind of take this shift with you. So you won't know until you step into it. Um, That's really scary. That can be really scary, but I think trusting that our time has come a little bit, as much as that might seem like a really big statement, that's what it feels like to me. And I think trusting that and going with that, that's how the change. Right. Well, I think the artists are, I just had a really weird, this is what happens with me. I had a really weird, um, (laughs) like image, like image analogy kind of come to my head. Um, (laughs) and it's like this piece of like, it's like this ripe orange or something. And you're, when you said the time is, is, is right and right. Right. Then artists being a part of like the peeling back of the, of the orange, Heal, right to kind of reveal you know the more soft and sweet and you know sensitive center of of the fruit right or if we yeah. can take it into you know the conversation we're having right the yeah. softer the more sensitive the more vulnerable uh places in the in all of the environments that we inhabit or the the neighborhoods that we work in and the conversations that we have artists have the ability to recognize when things are ready and start to peel peel that back um, in an honest in an honest way yeah definitely definitely i think you point to something that's also really crucial um you know my background's in theater so this next statement won't necessarily (laughs) apply to me but you know for for the visual artists out there um there's so much that gets communicated non-verbally right there's so many seeds we're planting all the time without saying anything it's what we wear it's the colors we paint our house it's the faces that we make i don't know how many people caught themselves during covid making faces on zoom and being like oh whoops um you know there's artists are and i know i'm making a lot of blanket statements here but you know i think many artists many creatives are in a nonverbal practice and so you talk about peeling the orange right the the painting that someone might make from the analogy that you just shared verbally could go in a lot of different directions but they're going to do their best to capture the feeling of what you're talking about. And I think that's true of how we dress and it's true of, you know, how much eye contact we make with people. That's something I hear all the time lately is that, you know, people make more eye contact with one another. Why is that? I think part of it is that we don't all have the words necessarily 
to get us through this time that we're in. This time is hugely complex, very challenging. Many people are afraid of saying the wrong thing in the wrong room to the wrong person. And so we're starting to pull it back a little bit and try and express as much as we can before we start speaking. And especially going back to the listening or the making space for voices that maybe haven't been lifted up enough and heard. We're all endeavoring to turn ourselves into these space holders or communicators in in new ways. And so I love when I see someone who's like wearing big earrings or I, you know, they're totally, I, I just know I found a kindred spirit in that person because they're saying something. They're yeah. saying something about themselves. They're saying something about the world. It might be there. I'm a mood dresser. I don't know how, any, how other people feel about that when I pack for a trip and my partner is joking with me about how much I bring. And I'm like, look, if I wake up somewhere and I don't have the right clothes, ruins my whole day. Because yeah. well, you're not going anywhere, right? Unless you want to go naked. But you know, so I don't because I don't want to misrepresent yeah. how I'm feeling. And now that really only matters to me. Very few people are going to look at me and be like, oh, she's in xyz mood that i might really that morning have endeavored to explain in my outfit but subconsciously somewhere in there energetically mm-hmm. i want someone else to feel that from me and sense that and you know as crazy as it is when i walk into a room and i see other people dressed creatively or i hear other people going into those brave conversations and sharing things personally i know i'm in a safe space I know I'm in a space where change is being embraced and effort is being exerted. Those things are grounding and really, really crucial in this time that we're in. Yeah. So so we have some uh, comments and and questions coming over here in the chat. One comment from Gretchen. I love the idea of creatives peeling the orange, especially as it pertains to human connection. I always feel weird about how I see other people's inner bits being mm. now that that's just my gift as a creative. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's highly sensitive individuals, highly sensitive people. Um, that is like a category that of, of human experiencing that we're hearing more and more about out there in, in the world is, especially as we start talking more and, and embracing more the, um, the reality of human, of neurodiversity, mm-hmm. um, the idea of, of highly sensitive people or empaths, right? That is a word that has been a understanding that's been around for a long time, empaths. And so, yeah, highly sensitive people, empaths people who are who happen to be neurodivergent right Mm -hmm. have a way of communicating and seeing things and experiencing things that you know the neurotypical world um if there even is one but whatever the neurotypical (laughs) world um doesn't necessarily see and that's where we can come in and help peel back our the peel right and 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 reveal some things. Now there's a question uh, from Liz and it's a question with a story. Uh, Our project manager has the tendency to schedule meetings as early as 7 a.m. One of our team members pushed back by saying, I'm so sorry, my neurodiversity limits my bandwidth at that time, Hmm. to which the rest of the team dismissed and responded with frustration. Hmm. Apparently they all like to get up at seven. 
how, how can I encourage my team to make room for our neurodiverse team member? Mm -hmm. That is a really, really good question. And I so appreciate it. And I think uh, this touches on something that I find myself talking about a lot lately, um, which is what diversity, equity, and inclusion, and Brene Brown would add belonging work uh, really means. Because I think, you know, we get very caught up on certain communities that are part of that. And we forget often about what you're talking about here, which is how people synthesize information. And especially around, you know, bandwidth is a great word. And I think um, something that's come up on my own team recently is that, you know, a couple of us are super extroverted and a couple of us are super introverted. And so when we're in a live discussion, the effort that is exerted by those of us that are more extroverted is to kind of bring the energy down a little bit sometimes, wait before speaking, and make sure that we're leaving room for the folks on the team that might be, you know, coming to something a little bit more slowly, really thinking something through before they're sharing. Um, and I'm sorry that your team met that with frustration because that can be just, you know, feel so awful and make the team member that was brave in asking for something feel, you know, yeah, really so happy. invalidating, so right? invalidating. And um, without, without knowing the roles that everyone is in on the team, um, you know, maybe a follow-up conversation between you as an advocate, if this person, you know, might be like, you know what, I already threw it out there and I got shut down. I'm not bringing it up again. Um, advocating for your team member, maybe finding an opportunity to either go to your project manager or email your project manager, whatever your modes of communication in your organization are. Um, and not, not letting it sort of die in that moment, but bring it up again and just say, hey, it's important to me as this person's team member to hear from them. And what I heard them say in the meeting is that we're not going to be able to hear from them fully. And that to me feels like I'm missing out on some ideas or some creativity that I might otherwise get. So even starting at 730 might help or at least be a step in the direction of hearing that someone on our team is not able to participate fully. What's the harm in starting later? Can you explain to me what what happens? Is it that you know the day gets pushed back too much? I'd like some some reasons. And again, I don't know the culture of your organization. I don't know if that feels comfortable or doable. Um, but asking questions, bringing curiosity to it, you know, are other people frustrated because they want to get this meeting over and done with, and maybe they're not even showing up completely because right, right. they just sort of want to get in and out, um, right. you know, or is there a real reason? Does it push the day back so much, so on and so forth? So I, I think bringing curiosity to it, maybe even starting with your team member going to them and saying, hey, I'd like to bring this up because I heard that I'm not able to hear everything from you at this time, would you mind if I went to our project manager? I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want to, you know, what have you, but if you don't mind, I'd like to advocate a bit because I'm losing something, right? I, I, it was presented as your issue, 
but I, as your team member, am losing something. So, you know, or maybe it's that we're going to have, we're going to keep that seven o'clock meeting, but we are going to leave room for and anticipate from everyone a follow-up email for anything that didn't get brought up in the meeting or anything that there wasn't space for. So similar, let's say similar to, I don't know how many folks here have taken an online course or something in school or what have you, you know, you post something in a discussion board and then the assignment usually is that you have to respond to two other things, right? So maybe the discussion board initially is that meeting and you say whatever you say in the meeting, whatever you have the bandwidth to get out there, but expect from me a follow-up email with any ideas that I wasn't able to express in that meeting. And I would appreciate an expectation of the team put in place by the project manager that everyone responds. That response might be heard. That response might be thanks for sharing. Or that response from other people might be, oh, that's a really good point. I'm so glad you shared that. Let's talk about that next time. So not everything I think has to happen in the moment and not every team is going to adjust for everyone, but thinking outside the box or looking for other spaces or times to communicate and including those in the expectation around communication, I think is really important to advocate for. Yeah. And you're doing a little bit of this here right now, this, your idea of imagine that. Yeah. Your concept or your little game, imagine that. I think it's really something that artists and creative, creative leaders really have, really be really good at, be really into. And imagine that if we spend time, the note that I took when you brought this to my attention a few conversations ago is if we spend the time and really dig in and imagine the most perfect way a system can run and then break it down into steps. So it's kind of like this game almost of, okay, so there's this issue in this system that you're recognizing, right? There's a project manager who enjoys getting up early and having their meeting right away and it's not working for every person in the team and for really valid reasons, right? Mm -hmm. That system is not working. So if we spend time and really dig in and imagine the most perfect way a system can run and then break it down into steps, that could be a really helpful way for a creative thinker and problem solver to enter into that space and advocate for those people who are not you know, able to advocate for themselves for one reason or other, safety being one, invalidation being another one, right? Absolutely. And I think you said something really important that I don't want to gloss over um, that I think can be a very challenging concept, which is that everyone's reasons are valid. Now, it's not valid to express something with frustration, dismissal. You know, there's a lot of um, contextual cues in there that I would not necessarily say are valid, but I think approaching something with the sense that everyone, including the person on your team who's trying to make some change happen, everyone is valid. I just want to 
I think we can also go play imagine that with that frustration too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, oh, I noticed that you just got really for this is the, welcome to therapy with TJ. I <laughs> got really frustrated there. Can you tell yeah. me a little bit about what is frustrating you wow. when your colleague says that it's really difficult for them to show up at 7 a.m.? Right. Right. I'd love to hear more about that frustration so that maybe we can look at it together as we're playing this game of how can we make things better for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So not that the frustration, you know, the frustration, the behavioral action of expressing frustration or invalidating somebody else may not usually definitely, usually indefinitely is not <laughs> helpful. Yeah. Right? But it doesn't mean that what's underlying that is invalid. Yeah. Right. But it's how are we communicating what we're experiencing? Yes. That doesn't shut it down, but allows it to be open, open right. up in a new way. Right. Yeah. Crucial distinction. And, and bringing that curiosity, you know, do those team members know that their frustration was so apparent? You know, did, did, they even consider themselves as showing up that way. So all of that interrogation, I think, is so important. And so the, yeah, the the purpose of <laughs> Imagine That, which is a practice that um, I've been developing, and it is something that is applicable in any sector. And the idea, the sort of core idea in there um, is I do a lot of thinking about what, what makes human beings truly unique from all other animals, right? The more research we have, we now know that all animals think. A lot of animals, maybe all of them, we're not sure, are emotional. So what is it that truly separates us? And the, and the more that I thought about it, imagination kept coming up over and over again. And so it led to this desire to bring imagination and with it, you know, curiosity, new ideas, thinking outside the box to any problem, any system, um, and try to really zoom out and look at something from what is the most perfect way that this could be constructed. If we're just thinking big picture, no limitations, all problems solved, all traumas healed, if we're like way out there, what does it look like? And we can apply this, I think, in, in little ways and bring imagination to imagination practice to um, any challenge that we're facing. And again, I think this is why, you know, creative leadership and artists as leaders is really rising to the fore is because imagination is an inherent part of artistry, right? We're out beyond the known or the things that we've been told. I mean, how many times do we hear artists referred to as like the black sheep of the family, or they just think differently or whatever. And it's because when you get out beyond the context that you've been offered and you start to create your own context or a new context for something, you're in that sort of imagination, curiosity space. And I think that that's really crucial. So um, imagining or engaging a coworker in imagining what is the most perfect flow of the day? You, you reacted with frustration, clearly starting at 7 a.m. is important to you. So describe to me from 7 a.m. to three, four, five, however long you're working, what's the perfect flow of the day and why is this 7 a.m. 
starting point so crucial? And what would imagine that you're in the most, you know, idyllic day, work day that you could be in and, and then hear from them um, what the steps of the of that day are. What's the connectivity from 7 a.m. to the end that is making them really because frustration, right, is a gripping of something. Frustration is like, I want this thing or I don't like this thing. Why are they holding on to 7 a.m. so tightly, you know? And especially where does it connect from their professional life to their family life? Maybe they pick their kids up at 3.30 and suggesting starting later than seven is going to throw their whole world into chaos. And what they thought of in that moment was not that this person is annoying or this person thinks differently and they don't like different thinkers. It might be that right in that moment, the frustration of being a parent, which I don't know how many parents are in the room, but, you know, immediately gripped them and they couldn't keep it off of their face. Right. So it might be something very simple, or it might be that they feel really charged up at 7am and maybe there's someone who has worked hard to become more of an early riser. And so they're proud that they can like get going at 7am and it's a sense for them of who they are and they show up to work and they're like accomplishing things And so the frustration is that someone is suggesting to them, because we tend to take things personally, whole other talk, um, (laughs) whole other TED talk. um, Someone might be suggesting that they didn't need to do that work. Starting at 7 a.m. is too early and the effort that they've exerted to become that kind of early rising professional wasn't really worthwhile. And you could start later and be fine. So bring imagination to, okay, I'm going to picture what this day is like if we start at 7.30 or we start at 8, or maybe we don't start with a meeting. Maybe we start at 7 a.m., but, you know, the meeting doesn't actually start till 7.30, but folks who want to get to that room earlier and work on something or connect with one another, or maybe we put you know, questions and ideas at the start of the meeting rather than the end of the meeting. And when someone comes in, we kind of recap what's happened and then we go into our official meeting. You know, how can things be moved around and reshaped to include everyone? Yeah, I think is the really important part of the practice. For For sure. And Jamie says, I have had to advocate for myself in that way for my, for myself with department meetings that get very heated and uh, get very heated and delivery. And I cannot uh, find a way to break in as an introverted autistic. So I sometimes have clear, have not, uh, sorry, I'm not reading right. Uh, oh, that's because it bounced. One sec. It's <laughs> like, wait a second, that's not her word. Um, Mm-hmm. I cannot find a way to break in as an introverted autistic, so I sometimes have to leave the meetings or find that I have to share my op- op- options and opinions later in another way because I cannot share in that format. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicole, my son is autistic. Uh, he was told to suck up his sensory issues at, at work recently, even though they know he's autistic mm-hmm. and the company is reportedly inclusive. I lost my mom their mind but kept my thoughts to my inside voice <laughs> um, and helping him problem solve. Yeah. He went to the HR person, but it's not clear how it's being handled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, furious, but letting him do what he needs to do while supporting him. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Seeing you both in that work, that is not 
not easy work at all. And I think, um, you know, this, this comment, Nicole, about the company being reportedly inclusive, again, I would go back to the work that still needs to happen, especially in, in companies around what diversity, equity, and inclusion really means, um, and who we're talking about when we use those words and how broad that is. So, you know, props to both of you for, for the efforts that you're exerting all the time around that. Yeah. Um, yeah and I think one thing, um, Jamie, you, you mentioned having to share opinions later or in another way, which I know is what I just spoke to. Um, and I'm wondering if there's room in the organization. And I know that this can, could feel really, really vulnerable to bring up. And again, I don't know what your support system is like at your organization, or if there are, are people to bring up these kind of creative approaches to. Um, but if there's a way in the moment to have some sort of um, projected board or something that you can type a question onto, like similar to a chat, kind of the more we focus on how we're hybridizing post COVID, you know, folks are zooming into meetings that other people are in person in. Um, is there some way to non-verbally interject a question in the moment um, might be something to explore. I know that's a very sort of small part of it. Um, I'm also so curious about the culture in your organization where heated, um, is sort of the standard oh. too. Um, and I will just say, you know, I know we're all here to, to talk about how wonderful and amazing and evolved creatives are, or maybe that's what I'm here to talk about or what I talk about all the time. But I will also say, you know, in response to this comment, because I know a lot of us are probably in artistic organizations, that can also be an output of creatives is that we're passionate. And we get excited and we get heated. And I'll speak from my own experience in my organization because my boss and I are the more extroverted people in the room. Um, and we will get into sort of heated disagreements sometimes. And I can see in my periphery the other folks kind of like leaning back and just sort of like letting it, letting it play out. And I have to check myself a yeah. lot around that and recognize that I'm not making room. And so I exert a lot of effort um, in staff meetings and in those rooms to say, why don't we pause and you and I take this offline or why don't we table this? And I also, I will just say, have the privilege of having a relationship with my boss where I can say something like that. So I don't, I, I do want to acknowledge that. Um, but if there is someone that you could go to outside of the meeting and say, you know, how would you like me as your employee, how would you like me to communicate this? Is there something that I can say in the meeting? Can I bring a bell to the meeting and ring it when stuff is just so crazy town that I and anyone else in the room who can't operate in a heated situation could call everyone back? Or is this the culture of the company? And I should consider that in choices I'm making about my career. I know that's a big statement, but, you know, all that to say that I think the more we start to disrupt the situations that we're in and advocate for ourselves or ask someone else to 
advocate for us and say, you know, I'm really looking for solutions here. I'm not trying to be difficult. I think a lot of people, you know, to Nicole's point about sucking up issues, a lot of people are being framed as being difficult, being challenging, like for fun, like for their own whatever. And so the more we can ground people, other people in our organizations down into the fact that this is this is a real operational question for me. I am trying to understand your organization, your culture, because I work here and I am proud to work here. And I want to have a part in what this culture is like because I'm not able to participate. And if I'm not able to participate, you're not getting my best. And if you're not getting my best, then you're paying me for sub perfect work. Now, if you're good with that, fine, but I'm not good with that. I don't feel like I'm contributing and that doesn't make me feel like I'm showing up to the expectation of the company, right? Which is that you're paying me every day to give my best, to participate, to have time and space to think about something creatively. Um, You know, so sometimes I think putting it back on the organization a little bit and saying, what is your goal here with me? Because I'm trying to rise to it, but these are the barriers that I'm feeling. And I want, I honestly want to address those barriers, but there are some things about myself that I can't change. I'm not choosing to be autistic. I'm not choosing to get flooded when things get really heated and I'm doing my own work. A lot of people are doing their own work to try and meet the culture or meet the loudest voice in the room. But sometimes I think asking those questions and taking a step back Mm -hmm. and helping someone else understand that there's a give and a take to a space and that really needs to be respected. And maybe it's something, well, no, I'm not going to go there. I was going to (laughs) say, that sounds too petty. Even in my head, I was going to be like, maybe I don't come to this meeting and you can just send me all your notes. No, Um, you know, but, but, I think the putting a question back on someone, especially in HR department, you know, especially saying I'm unclear on what the expectations are here because I'm told that we want this level of, of performance or participation, or you want the best of my creative ideas. And I'm not able to give that. So in this, in this environment, so I'm curious what the steps are to, to get there. Yeah. And it's hard. Again, I just want to acknowledge that that the constant advocacy, um, looking for allies in organizations, it is really exhausting. And so I I so honor the work that you're all doing to to try and meet those challenges in your lives. Yeah. Wow. So we we have to start to to wrap up here. Uh, <laughs> really, this is this conversation was really great, and it sounds like. You know, a lot of a lot of the folks here have some good information and ideas, and in, in terms of how they can make spaces or the spaces that they inhabit more yeah. inclusive to other people who think differently, or mm-hmm. you, know, you know, just we want to make it a safer environment. Um, 
one, if you can answer the question really quickly, Jamie was asking if they need um, a specific kind of degree to get into doing this kind of work in specific, or oh. um, if it's something that we can we can do without necessarily having a lot of that academic training. Sure, that's a great question. Um, and absolutely, I would say that there is there is a component to this work, I think, that is sort of naturally occurring um, <laughs> because, again, the, the aspect of placemaking, um, space-making, um, that is just bringing more mindfulness and intention to how we're in space together, I think, can be something that rises very naturally. I think going into creative placemaking as a profession, it depends a little bit on um, where you're looking to apply that work. Um, so for instance, as TJ said, um, my master's is in arts administration and I went into graduate school intending to come out the other side in theater management um, and got completely pivoted into creative placemaking by virtue of being in Philadelphia, um, which just has an, an incredible track record of naturally doing a lot of this work, including arts in um, its own revitalization and recovery. So, um, you know, arts administration, anything to me that is looking at kind of the intersection of arts and business, arts and development um, is a great degree to have. But I also think, you know, creative placemaking is becoming more and more ubiquitous, even though people don't necessarily know the terms. Right. So we're seeing a lot of this work happen in fields like public health, right. in fields like education, architecture, you know, things that we, we may not have necessarily connected it to. So I don't think, and I would never say that traditional academics is the only path to something. I think that creative placemaking is very much about how do I as a creative impact the places that I am operating in. Um, and that can take a lot of different forms. Um, I think if you're looking to do it in, you know, an urban planning application or a municipal application, or, you know, be the creative person in your organization who's doing any kind of community building, I think there are myriad degrees that can support your knowledge and ability to speak to it, especially in ways, I think this is the crucial part for me, that um, the intersector communication is really crucial. So any knowledge you can gather, whether it's traditional academic programs or certificate programs or workshops, um, any, any knowledge that you can gather that helps you speak to some of these more conceptual ideas in more concrete ways that non-creative or non-artistic people can relate to, that's really the crucial part. So I think that's all about language. It's all about connectivity. And there are so many different programs that can bring you to that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure. Yeah, this was awesome.